Hello, my little fishies, and welcome to another episode of Zombie Fishbowl, a podcast about random shit. I don't have a fancy introduction here. I I couldn't. I I didn't. So, let's just start. Hi, Danielle. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> For those who haven't listened before, um, I am Melanie. I am in America. Danielle is in England, and that's that's about as much background as you're gonna get. Yes. Blink, blink. Go back and listen to the, the other ones and find out yeah. more. If you have questions, go check out our very first episode. It's a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> so, Danielle, no updates this week, correct? Correct. All right. Yeah. So we will we will probably be getting pretty rapidly into our topic. So we we still haven't come up with a proper name for our thing or purge. Yeah. I'm I'm leaning towards thurge. Thurge. <laughs> Bing purge, purge thing, bing yeah. ting, thurge. The thurge ting. We could just say thing purge purge thing ping every single time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's just get really elaborate and obnoxious with it. We start adding our words to it. It's the purge thing, the thing purge, purge thing ting, thurge. Thurge. <laughs> Soon we'll be dedicating an entire minute to what it is we're doing and and then do it. Is this not that minute? I shut up. <laughs> shut up. So my third of this week, I guess, is uh yeah, I'm sticking to it. You can't stop me. Can't stop the I'm, signal. We're going to have to look it up and see if there's already a word thurge. Yeah, it, it sounds like a Norse god or something, but I'm I like it anyway. Or some kind uh, of seepage. so tomorrow is election day here in california by the time this comes out it will have already happened and we will know the terrible results thereof uh but i'm i'm excited to vote i love voting and i'm scared and i'm excited at the same time so to be clear for my listeners over this end or anywhere else, you're not actually electing a president. No, it's our primary election because um, as of right now, I think we have some 47 different people running for Democrat uh, for president. Uh, I'm, of course, exaggerating, but there is way more than there fucking should be. And um, yeah, tomorrow we get to decide, uh, at least in like five states, there's, there's a bunch of states voting tomorrow. It's Super Tuesday, where the majority of the country puts in their votes for who they think the Democratic candidate should be. And it's exciting. We Only the Democrats? Uh, well, I don't think there's anyone running against Trump for Republican. I think so there ordinarily are... they would. Yeah, absolutely. But I think there's some guy named, like, Michael Mad Dog... Madsen or something, someone with a really dumb fucking name who nobody's ever heard of, had put himself on the ballot, but no one's no one's gonna vote for that guy. Everyone, everybody who's Republican is gonna vote for Trump, and that's just sort of the reality of it. So the the situation we're looking at is Trump versus whoever we all decide on tomorrow, and it'll be interesting to see who that is. I'm silent because of reasons. Because of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I literally don't have anything to say after what happened over here last year. So yeah, fair enough. Um, 
I have disconnected from the news. I literally still have not watched the news since the 13th of December. Wow. I'm so heartbroken. Yeah. Yeah, I've had to seriously tone back the amount of news that I've been watching because I found myself every day, as soon as I wake up, first thing I do, YouTube, what's on the news? And, you know, that's not a great way to start your day. No, it's really not. I really recommend just cutting it out for a little while. Uh, Maybe after tomorrow, just take two weeks off. (laughs) Yeah, right. I've been awake for two minutes. By the way, coronavirus will kill us all. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what you need to do... What you need to do is just cut the cord for now. All the important shit still makes its way to me. All right. So all the shit that I actually need to know gets filtered to me eventually. Yeah. Um, I will tune back in and become a informed and educated and um, engaged person again. Just right now I'm looking after my mental health. And it's not doing great on its own, so it sure doesn't need paranoid media kind of feeding into it either. So I feel like maybe if I was watching the news, I might be even worse than... Yeah. Yeah, so... My my biggest problem, though, is that I'm surrounded by, not only in real life, but on online, you know, my... You create your own little bubble of Mm. what news filters through to you. And, you know, my my liberal friends get swept away in, in... opinion pieces rather than news and the same goes for the republicans and and i don't want to be swept away by opinion pieces i want to be swept away by information and i want to be the one that's going hey look calm down what you're reading is an opinion piece not actual information so let's just center ourselves and i'm so used to being that kind of voice of reason where it's just all like what you're listening to is a lot of fluff you have to calm down and and hear the actual facts in there and then you make your own opinion on that uh, but yeah, it's it's been getting to me. My anxiety has been so bad that I I'm like crying randomly. Mm. Uh, so I am tuning it back a lot. Yeah. But good. every time my phone blink, my phone goes beep. I'm all, oh, another news article. I'm not gonna not gonna look at it. Not yeah. gonna look no, at it. No, turn off those notifications. But what if it's really important? What if zombies are here and it's a real thing? That's one of my favorite things about big viruses okay so when we had like swine flu and bird flu and now and now this <laughs> i'm not even so much <laughs> i'm not even so much worried that i'm going to die because of the virus okay my big thing because i'm such a fucking dork is that the cure or the vaccine suddenly the dead stop dying and we have the zombie apocalypse this is just where my brain goes every single time there is a a a pandemic of some disease or another i'm not worried about the disease itself i'm worried about human error and us accidentally creating our own zombie situation well i can say rest assured melanie that that there's processes in place to ensure that that doesn't happen the cdc are on it not not if trump is like rushing through shit sorry sorry i'll stop i'll stop It looks good. Just just give it to everybody. Just put it in the water supply. They'll be fine. And then we have zombies. Thanks, Trump. I don't know. That's how my brain has just been going lately. I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he unleashed some kind of plague upon the earth, but he, he is enough of a plague. He's a piece of shit. Okay, sorry. Sorry. I meant I didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. I'm stopping. You're I'm asking stopping. me about my thing now. Yes. Tell me about your thing, Daniel. 
Right. Okay. So the good news is there's about 55 days until the end of my year three. Woo! So the good news is there's about 55 days. The terrifying news is there is about 55 days and I've not started my dissertation yet. Don't tell anyone. Oh, no. It's a total secret. Just me and you. It'll never leave this room. I haven't started it yet. I've. That's not technically true. I've read a little bit and I've put a plan together and I've put together a presentation for like you have to present what you're going to do your dissertation on and everything like that. But actually putting finger to board and typing anything out not happened yet. I'm sorry. Not a word written. I don't even have a a, like a, a file saved on my computer that says like dissertation draft. Well, you should at least, when we're done here, at least make that file. <laughs> First <I'm> step. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so the good news and the bad news is there's around a month and a half of until I graduate year three. Well, I'm excited, and I'm also, I'll, I can bully you every day if you like. She's like, you no. should you write anything down? Give me a paragraph. Give me a paragraph of what you wrote. I have a plan. Whether I follow that plan is remains to be seen. <laughs> Implement <But>. that plan. <laughs> wow. Well, part of my plan is to follow the plan. Good. Step one of plan. Follow plan. <laughs> follow plan. Follow exactly. through with preceding plan bullets. See below. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Wish me luck. I've, yeah, no, all the luck, and I, I, I'll badger you each day if that, if you think that might help. No, because Turner does it, and he does it well. And if somebody else starts doing it, I might actually start like having an adverse reaction. Yeah. Fair enough. That's like when every time every, anybody asks me, "Why don't you have a driver's license?" I'm like, "Because I don't fucking want to." All right. Whereas if I only ever heard that once a year, I'd probably be like, "You know what? You're right. I should probably get on that." Yeah. It's like the inner teenager in us never really grows up. Yeah, yeah, it's still fighting tooth and nail because because we don't wanna. Because in the words of Rage Against the Machine, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Yeah. Boom. Boom. Right. Quote of the day, done. <laughs> and you're welcome for having that song stuck in your head, Rage fans. <laughs> All right, so let us breathe in the excitement of the future and breathe out the panic of the future. Yes. Ready? Three, two, one. Oh, I just blew my bollocks onto the floor. Oh. Ow? Sorry, that makes no sense out of context. (laughs) But I'm not going to explain it. I'm going to leave it a mystery. (laughs) I'll just look worried at you the whole time. Are your bollocks okay? I'll get them later. (laughs) all right so let's just dive into it our topic of the day is out of body experiences yes the first thing i learned about out of body experiences is that it's not called outer body experiences (laughs) it's called (laughs) out of body experiences i've always said outer body experiences i felt dumb oh how funny oh you sweet thing I know. I had one of those light bulb moments. Out of body. That oh. makes so much sense. Not Shit. outer body, like the outer limits. 
No outer body. It's just your top layer of <laughs> your dermis. Your outer body. Yes. <laughs> it's your dermis experience. Mm-hmm. All right. So according to Wikipedia, an out of body experience or OBE or sometimes even OOBE is an experience in which a person experiences the world from a location outside of their physical body. An OBE is a form of otoscopy, or literally seeing self. Although the term otoscopy more commonly refers to the pathological condition of seeing a second self or a doppelganger. Regardless, the term out-of-body experience was introduced in 1943 by G.N.M. Tyrell in his book Apparitions, and was adopted by researchers such as Celia Green and Robert Monroe as an alternative to belief-centric labels such as astral projection and spirit walking. OBEs can be induced by traumatic brain injuries, sensory deprivation, near-death experiences, disassociative and psychedelic drugs, dehydration, sleep disorders, and dreaming, and electrical stimulation of the brain, among others. It can also be deliberately induced by some. One in ten people have an OBE once, or more commonly, several times in their life. Neuroscientists and psychologists regard OBEs as disassociative experiences arising from different psychological and neurological factors. Nice. (laughs) So that's the Wikipedia explanation, and I'm sure Danielle has got a whole lot of fun things to say on the subject. But before we dive into it, I want to just throw this out there. When When talking about OBEs, it's important to note the different kinds the different contexts, and the effects that it has on a person. So the main kinds, or there's there's a bunch of different kinds, but the three most commonly recognized or experienced are, um, so we have astral projection or spirit walking, near-death experiences, or NDEs, and random occurrences. Okay, well, my uh, research focused on NDEs, near-death experience-induced outer-body experiences. I'm still saying outer-body, out-of-body experiences. (laughs) So I took a little bit of a left turn this time around, and I kind of watched a documentary on um, YouTube. Am I right to go now? Is that okay? Oh, yes, please. Okay. Uh, so I watched a documentary on YouTube called uh, Beyond Our Sight. It's not actually listed on YouTube as Beyond Our Sight. It's called Out of Body Documentary. So if you want to look it up, it's a very, um, I will say, romantic look at near-death experience-induced um, out-of-body experiences. But I kind of did that on purpose i kind of wanted to see yeah sort of the the, not the flouncy but i kind of knew what i was getting into when i started watching it yeah i knew that it was going to be sentimental and i knew that it was going to be very very pro uh out of body experience so i just started kind of writing my thoughts as i watched the documentary i do recommend watching it it had some interesting points, but it is incredibly one-sided. There's no voice from the other side. Yeah. But I went and found that voice. Don't worry, and I will talk about it at the when it when it comes up. But I guess what I I took from it really was that everyone featured in this video had this out of body experience, and they came back. It, simply put, a better person. Yeah. So 
every single one of them had something very positive to say about it. No one, none of them were traumatized by their experience. Now, this might just be in this instance, um, the particular people that they chose to interview, or it might be a high percentage of people that have this experience feel this way. But most of them sort of explain how when you have this experience, things change for you your acceptance of the way the world is becomes more sorry that let me rephrase that that you suddenly become more aware of how the universe properly works this is how they think that they've they've been given like a sort of awakening and when they come back they all they want all they want is for them to share it with other people because they think that it's such a good thing. Yeah. So none of them in this particular documentary want to go, oh my God, it's absolutely terrifying. Life after death is the scariest thing ever. All of them said that it was full of love and happiness and peace and tranquility. And that when they came back, all they wanted to do was tell everyone everything's going to be okay. Yes. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Everything's going to be okay. So this experience for these particular people was life affirming. And quite a few of them claim to have now got psychic abilities. Oh. So they don't necessarily say that they can. um, What's the word? They're not telekinetic. But quite a few of them. report becoming sensitive or hyper intuitive or having a clairvoyance and quite a few of them identified as mediums okay from a metaphysical standpoint that that does sound solid yes so well i say that like i agree but in that sense that they they have now experienced to them they've experienced something where they've gone to another dimension or another plane of existence where the spirit is so mm-hmm. where the spirit is or where souls are, a lot of them report um, conversations with dead loved ones, a few report conversations with God, which I think you're going to talk about different um, experiences in different cultures because they are culturally prescribed, which is why I'm not um, convinced by them or else everyone would have the same experience. But because in this particular documentary, I did write down all of their experiences were very Christian in, theme, in thematically. Yeah. So there were lights, angelic figures, conversations with past loved ones or God, um, that idea that they have some purpose left on earth to come back to um, for them to teach or to for them to grow as people, whether it was for themselves or for someone else. So that's one of the main things I took away from it, but was although it was like this culturally prescribed idea of what the afterlife is, they all come back reporting good things, nice things. Um, also, it, one of the people that had this experience wanted to call into question the idea of consciousness, the way that we understand consciousness in general, because we don't understand consciousness. Yeah, We do not know what makes the thinking part of our brain. So he postulates, if you will, that what's to say that consciousness doesn't exist first and then the body? Okay. And so that consciousness exists without the body. 
And that when the body is created, consciousness goes into the brain and into the body and becomes thinking. At the moment, we believe that the thinking part of the brain exists only in the brain and that it the body comes first and then consciousness. Mm-hmm. So he calls into question the idea that consciousness is second. And the, re- and the things that he has to back that up is the idea that there might be other dimensions. And this is actually scientifically sound because string okay. theory, for example, which is a quite highly regarded theory in physics, in quantum physics, there's seven dimensions. Yeah. And some qu- um, quantum, physic, quantum physics theories theorize that there are 11 dimensions. Hmm. And so he's saying in his own way, what if consciousness is one of those dimensions and that it exists outside of the body before it triggers whatever it is in our brain that makes consciousness. Hmm. So like there's a part of the brain that's sort of a portal to let that thing from another dimension in? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Well, like like, it's like a beacon or whatever. And that when you become alive, it's a part of the consciousness, the mass consciousness or whatever it is in that dimension attaches to your brain and gives you the ability to think and be conscious. But you make your own thoughts as you develop. Yeah. yeah. But as soon as you have become alive, you get that you get tuned into the frequency, if you will. Which I thought was really quite interesting, actually. It did make me kind of think, oh, I bet he smoked a lot of weed in his life. (laughs) (laughs) That guy has definitely done acid. What if consciousness exists first and then the body? It's dead chill. (laughs) And I thought, I can't dismiss that because that's thinking about it logically. Because, oh, the reason why this is related to out-of-body experiences is because he's saying that maybe when you die and you become disconnected from your body but your brain is still active, mm-hmm. you're still connected to your thoughts. So like you're still like you're kind of tethered to your body still. So you might have died, but your brain is still tuned into the frequency. Yeah. So you're, if you will, your soul or your spirit has left your body, but you actually haven't because you have no physical body anymore. What it is is that you're going back to the big consciousness that is a dimension. Yeah. Because you're not quite dead yet you're still attached to your body and you can see your body because your consciousness exists outside your body. Yeah. But then I argue, well, then how can you see? Cause you have no eyes. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll get into that later when I talk about the sciencey bits. So there's flaws in this guy's theory, but I like to entertain it. Cause I like to entertain kind of groovy theories that have some kind of logic behind them. I feel yeah. like there's more logic behind that than the idea that, the soul, which is in the form of human figure, is like looking down on itself. But uh, we'll get into that, I'm sure, when we have a conversation later. Mm-hmm. I just want to make sure that I'm um, getting all my points in. Obviously, it's impossible to prove people having out-of-body experiences at the moment. It's impossible to prove it scientifically that what they're saying is the truth or if it's a dream or if it's a hallucination and things like that. However, scientists are very, 
they're weary of this line of work because of the climate of the scientific community. Um, they're very careful and they're very afraid and they don't push it. There's yeah. this like kind of idea that it's impossible, uh, dismiss it, and they're really kind of, uh, they can be quite aggressive about... Yeah, let the theologians figure it out. It's not our thing. Yeah, yeah, and I have the philosophers... Um, theorize and, and you know like you know that's the realm of, of religion and things but um, that's not how scientific progress happens yeah you know and in order to actually probably understand this phenomena because it is a phenomena it is real it's a thing that happens the sort of scientific community has to like relax a little bit on its its idea because it is a I've written down a scientific taboo to yeah. talk about it's that psychical research thing. Yeah. So it's kind of seen as a pseudoscience, and that's <clears throat> not really fair because if you use the scientific method to analyze things in a um me- you know methodological and and scientific way, it is in no way pseudo science. Yeah, exactly. So real science to it it's real science um so i'll talk about real science later but i will rest my voice but i just want to say this documentary if you want to kind of hear people's personal experiences with out-of-body experiences that were good and positive one guy he's like such a california dude um but like a middle-aged california not like the kind of I don't know how to explain it, but once you see him, you'll know who I'm talking about. You're like, he <laughs> definitely lives in Malibu. And uh, <laughs> there's a few mediums and things like that. And they're just all got very, very nice things to say um, about the whole experience. But just don't expect any descending voices from the yeah. other side of the argument, because this is very much to convince you that our body experiences are positive. So... Yeah, I was on YouTube and I was looking for any kind of video of people just discussing it uh, in a not this is how you do it or this is how it has been. I want people like to actually have discussions about it. Nothing. Yeah, just no real talk about about uh, near death experiences or astral projection or anything like that. It's all it's all just and this is how you do it. It was all very florid, um, and it, I was actually really infuriated by it. I found like five little videos that I thought might give me what I wanted. You know, it was like atheist discussed near death experience and found Jesus. Okay, great. Uh, and that was most of them was just like, I didn't believe in anything. I was a completely selfish, self-serving atheist. And now I found Jesus, my purpose and bloopity bloopity blue. Lies. Uh, uh. No, I think that the people in this video are sincere. Yeah, and I believe I, I totally believe the whole near death experience thing. I, I, yeah, there are different aspects of it. I, so my my big primary thing when it comes to faith is like what you believe is what is real for your spirit. So again, this is just my my perspective, uh, completely non scientific. Um, but if you believe in Jesus and God in the clouds and and this heavenly, uh, you know place white light yeah white light this whole thing that's what you will experience that's where your soul will go and do its thing if you believe that you are reincarnated i believe that your spirit moves on to the next thing um i i just believe that your spirit and your mind and and what you learn all create what your spirit does uh so if you believe in jesus and god and the pearly gates and the guy with the big beard 
if you have a near-death experience, you're probably going to see God. You will probably see Jesus. Um, and most of the near-death experiences that are recorded are all Western. So there's not a whole lot of near-death experiences um, being studied on the Eastern part of the world, where I'm sure they see much different things. We we tend to focus more on Western and and you know, white people and their experiences with near death, near death, and then they see Jesus. So I, I think that some people feel like that's proof of God and and the whole biblical thing. I feel like that's proof that their spirit is, is moved to that. And I feel like that's proof of your mind being a very intuned and very complex machine. Yeah, like a computer. You, you have this recording, you have this thing that's set that that's what's going to happen at the end of your life. So as soon as your brain starts recognizing that it's dying or that your body is dying, it's going to flood your brain with all these images that it has sort of on reserve yeah. for this moment. Exactly. My theory is that, and it actually gives me comfort to think this, I will genuinely tell you this, that I think the reason why people like astral project, if you will, out of their body it, when they die is mm-hmm. because they're brain is protecting their consciousness yeah so, it doesn't want to sit there and focus on what death pain is like and death yeah. yeah so it's like a it's like a defense mechanism so like if you're about to be in a head-on collision and suddenly your mind disconnects from your body mm-hmm. and you do not feel the physical pain of the head-on collision that makes me feel so much better to think yeah. that my brain has that default mechanism to go whoop get the fuck out of here uh, yeah. this is gonna hurt you ain't gonna survive it Audi, and then yeah, it yeah. takes you out of your body it, you think that you're out of your body and i will get into that in a moment when i talk about my um my doctors talking about it but the uh, this idea that um you don't have to physically feel what's happening to yourself when you're dying that actually makes me feel good that my brain has a mechanism that is so good at recognizing that i ain't gonna survive this and this is why when people come back it tends to be by some fluke like they were almost dead yeah yeah so it's not like we can ask actual dead people if that's what they experienced like but it probably is but it might very well be the moments before you die you might feel you might jump out of your body right before your brain shuts shuts down for the very last time you're not you're flooded with nothing but this thing that you have on reserve for how you want yes. to envision that happening. Your subconscious, um, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And and see, I do believe in a soul, and and I know that you you not so much, mm, right? No, yeah. No. Um, and I believe that 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 kind of peace is what can help a soul move on to whatever next thing. Personally, I love the thought that souls are like energy particles, just always always in the air, always around you until you flip the switch and then it does a thing. And then you turn it off and it goes back into being a whole bunch of stuff flying around you always, all the time until you flip another switch. Well, that's and what that that disconnected consciousness theory is, basically that they're there all the time in another dimension within ours. So like the three dimensions are up, down, and you know, length, width, and depth. Yeah. He's talking about there being a dimension which is energy in which the consciousness resides. Yeah. And so, so with with me that that translate in, translates into reincarnation. Potentially. You know, but you know what I mean. So it goes back into the the swirling void of energy until someone flips a switch, a person is 
born and is conscious and needs something to to sort of activate brain and thought and and emotion and passion and then you have this new life this new Mm -hmm. life and this new vessel for it yeah well there's only a finite amount of um there's only a finite amount of energy or whatever in the universe so is that's why that whole idea of that we're all stardust kind of thing is that everything yeah. is constantly yeah. being recycled. So why not consciousness as well is basically yeah. your uh, idea. Mm. Well, because I mean, when you when you meet when you meet an old soul, a person that suddenly like boom, you're talking to them like, oh shit, you got an old soul. You know it. Like you can you can tell that pretty strongly, pretty quickly. Even if you're not recognizing the age of souls of everybody else you've ever met, but when you meet somebody who's like, boom, damn, old soul, you're like, okay, yeah, I, I, I recognize that. I may not be able to recognize a new soul or a soul that's only done like 50 lives, but this one's an old one. And mm. it's not even recognizing it specifically as an old soul, but when you, you know what I mean? When you meet somebody who just has that depth and level of wisdom that should not have been accumulated in one lifetime. Yeah, like the doctor. Yeah, exactly. He's very old. <laughs> you just wait till you watch the new series. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so I um, wonder if you have some stories of like some cultural, some different ones other than like the white light and the angelic figures and the voice of God. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So to go into my bit, I focused a little bit more on astral projection and astral traveling, because it is the same concept. It is your your spirit leaving your body to do a thing. So astral projection or astral travel is a term used in varying degrees of mysticism to describe an intentional out-of-body experience that assumes the existence of a soul or consciousness called an astral body that is separate from the physical body and capable of traveling. In experiencing an intentional projection of your spirit, many people imagine a silver cord tethering their spirit to the body. Astral projecting comes up in a crazy amount of world cultures. Some people say as many as 90% of the world's cultures have have mentioned or acknowledge astral traveling or astral projection. So you can explain the science behind it till you're blue in the face, but when it comes to how it affects you spiritually or in your daily life, it cannot be argued that these are experiences these people have had. But what is the difference between astral projection and lucid dreaming? Um, lucid dreaming is when you remain inside your own mind, but you have control over the actions that you do during sleep, mm-hmm. whereas astral astral projection you have no control and you're experiencing things outside of your body astral projection and lucid dreaming are exactly the same thing (laughs) okay (laughs) so i mean when you when you're lucid dreaming you have a modicum of control in your dream you can't control everything suddenly a giant tyrannosaurus comes out of nowhere and you're scared but you recognize it's a dream so you have a sword and you battle it and you may win but still the the fight the antagonist that was that was not something that you intentionally created for your dream so you have a modicum of of uh control but not total control same thing with astral projection most of the time when you're when you're going into the process of of doing this intentionally it starts as a meditation and you move from there uh into the next phase most of the time 
you, you, you sit in this meditation, you control your breathing, and you imagine your body going and flying up into the stars. And that's sort of like your base for where you want to go from there. But you can end up anywhere. If your thoughts drift the littlest bit, suddenly you're in Tibet. That wasn't exactly where you wanted to go in your astral travels, um, unless you are really good at it and can really focus. Same thing with lucid dreaming. You can do it by accident. You can do it intentionally, but still only have a little bit of control. And then, then there are pros who can lucid dream the fuck out of their life. But uh, so I thought that was interesting because I was looking into it trying to figure out if there's any real distinction and even people who hardcore believe in astral projection as a metaphysical way of life will tell you it's pretty much lucid dreaming. Okay. Um, the trick is that they can do it while not fully in REM sleep. You know, they're, they're sitting, they're standing they're they're Or they believe that they're not. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I do have some fun tips on how to train yourself to lucid dream, but I may save that for a mini-sode because it's kind of cool. Okay. One thing I, I wanted to bring up was religions and astral travel. So here I have some bullets, just some small little examples because they're fun. In ancient Egyptian teachings present the soul or the ba as having the ability to hover outside the physical body via the ka or subtle body. And in some of the hieroglyphs, I guess, the ka, which is, so the ba is your soul, your your consciousness, what makes you you. Your ka is, it's more than that. It's it's like a, a spirit doppelganger of you. It doesn't have your your thoughts and intentions so much as it's like the vessel for your ba. The, the place between your body and your ba is, is the ka. And in hieroglyphs, it's represented as a small person standing at the feet of the bigger person. Okay. Some people said, uh, and this isn't totally proven because, I mean, when it comes to hieroglyphs in ancient Egypt, um, this was one of the things that was kind of in flux as far as how to, um, what's the word? Interpret it. Okay. But they believe, some people believe, so let me clarify, I no professional. So some people believed that there was a practice of trying to get your ka to um, uh, leave your body and present itself in front of another crowd, a crowd of people. And that was sort of a training because it's believed in ancient Egypt that, that when you die, your ka needs a vessel. So that's why they built statues. That's why the sarcophagi were so keyed into trying to look like the person that was a place the ka could go um outside of the body so it was like some kind of practice to try and get your ka to leave your body while you were still alive sort of like training it for the moment when it would have to do it when you were dead i don't know okay. it was it was somebody's it was a few people who who were talking about that and i thought that was interesting mm -hmm. in the talmud which is a central sect in rabbinish judaism more specifically, the Gemara of Sanhardin. There's a description of the soul traveling around the world while a person sleeps, and then coming back during the dream, showing them what it saw in its travels. It's assumed that this only hap if this happens voluntarily, then there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, so it's 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 all right if you kind of do this sort of on purpose. Whereas a lot of the times, uh, like with Christianity, if you only God can take you out of your body. 
if you practiced astral projection, meditation, things like that, then you're going against God and, and sinning. But if God took you out of your body, it was totally fine. Um, in this sect, this central sect of uh, Judaism, if you did it on your own, it, it's fine. You're not in trouble. <laughs> Whether or not that's a description of astral projection is up to you. But again, since I feel like lucid dreaming and astral projection are very much kind of the same thing, I put it in. A Kabbalist tradition, which stems back about 4,000 years all the way to ancient Babylon, sees astral projection as an integral aspect of its practices and beliefs. Kabbalah generally acknowledges and teaches things that should be considered occult or supernatural by mainstream Judaism, so that kind of comes as no surprise. It's the the more radical aspect mm. of it, so it's, it's encouraged. In Sufism, or mystical Islam, the practice of astral projection is generally accepted and even taught. These mystic practitioners often experience close contact with supernatural realms, and in fact, these experiences are key to their religious beliefs. Yeah, near-death experiences or OBEs have been used as examples in the teachings and tellings of ancient Grecian philosophers, such as Plato, Hermotidus, and Hermotidus, Hermotimus of Clasimene, Herodotus, and in some reports of the historian Plutarch of Queronia. That was fun to say. Yeah, Greek words. I'm lying. None of that was fun to say. The Bible itself mentions astral projection via near-death experience. It can also be argued that being in the spirit is an out-of-body experience. Many steadfast Christians argue that only God himself can take you out of the body. So, again, there's that. There's a biblical example. In Corinthians 12, 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul gives us an intriguing anecdote in which he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years past was caught up in the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. He heard inexpressible things. And that sounds mighty close to an astral projection to me. In Japan, we have the Ikiryo, or living ghost. There's this belief that the soul of a living person can leave their bodies to haunt, taunt, curse, or torment their enemies. <laughs> Sometimes over great yes. distances. And there's a, number, there's a number of common ways for the Ikiryo to appear during a near-death experience, fainting, intense passion, desire, rage, trauma. And the owner of the soul is almost always completely unaware that their spirit is fucking with somebody else. Ah, not so fun. No, not so fun. Which can lead to very awkward interactions <laughs> later. Yes. Why were you at the foot of my bed throwing rocks at me? What? <laughs> In the Amazon, the Yaskimo of YY is believed to be able to perform a soul flight that can serve several functions, such as healing, flying to the sky to consult cosmological beings, the moon or the brother of the moon, and to get a name for a newborn baby, flying to the cave of the Peccaries Mountains to ask the father of Peccaries for abundance of game, or flying deep down in a river to get the help of other beings. Shamans, shamans in a lot of tribes, not, not only, you know, in, in the Amazon, but also Native Americans. I mean, uh, astral travel was was the way to commun with, communicate with gods, deities. It's it was it's fair common practice in a lot of places. Yeah. To go to another dimension, another plane where mm -hmm. the spirit is. Yeah. This sort of idea that we're disconnected from that place. Yeah, and that they need to yeah travel outside of their body, recognizing that they're leaving their body behind to consult with something on a higher plane. That yeah. That is astral travel. That is astral projection. 
Neat side note. So many people consider astral tra- travel to be sort of an Eastern thought thing, right? Mm. Um, I cannot tell you how many white people who practice Buddhism and other Eastern practices go on and on about astral traveling and their meditations and how it's the ultimate skill to attain. Interestingly enough, though, in Buddhism, astral projection would be classified as a siddhi, which is like a special power. Special powers do arise on accident. It's like an accidental side effect of meditation or spontaneously, but special powers are not to be sought after or cultivated because they distract you from your practice, mm-hmm. from your intention to do good. Although in Hinduism, a city is like astral travel is a lovely thing and absolutely do it as much as you can. Well, we've been around the world there. Yeah. Even in, uh, there's an Inuit group. People with special capabilities are set up to travel to remote mythical mythological places and report their experiences and things of import to their fellows of the entire community. How to stop bad luck in hunting, cure a sick person, etc. Everywhere. Wow, very cool. Yeah, that's my so, fun list. So, shall we go into the sciency sciency bit? Give me your sciency bit. Okay, so I uh, watched an excerpt from a like a symposium or a conference um, by the New York Academy of Sciences called Rethinking Mortality, Exploring the Boundaries Between Life and Death. And there was a panel of four men and one woman. Uh, The woman didn't speak, (laughs) at least in the excerpts that I saw. Um, I was very disappointed by that. But um, there was a gentleman called Kevin Fenwick who was, he has lots of letters after his name. I will say them. M, he earned them, so I'm going to say them. M, B, B, C, H, D, P, M, F, R, C, Psych. I don't know what those mean, but I mean, that sounds to me like he's done a lot of work to get yeah. those letters, so I feel like I should say them. If you know what M, B, B, C, H, D, P, M, or F, R, C, Psych mean, uh, just keep it to yourself. I don't really care. Anyway, um, <laughs> He essentially explains the idea of um, out of body experiences in regards to near death experience. So I think I do need to kind of talk about that, but it is relevant to other experiences of out of body experiences or astral projection because it's the same part of the brain. Anyway, there's very little controversy in the neurological circles that it is a legitimate thing. One in 20 people will claim to have one. It is extremely common. But what's actually happening here, it always happens during something called syncope thinking, yeah. syncope, syncope thinking, which is, uh, it can happen when you're feeling faint or when you lose consciousness or if you're in kind of an induced um state of um um not quite awakeness so i'll start by explaining the three states of consciousness if you will awake (laughs) (laughs) non-rem and rem so rem is rapid eye movement or deep sleep so you've got three stages awake (laughs) non-rem which is when you're dozing and rem which is when you're in a deep sleep I call I like I love the word dozing. It's one of my favorite words. Like it's such a good one. Good. I was dozing. I wasn't sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're in your rapid eye movement part of your sleep, your deep sleep, 
there are actually parts of your brain that get activated your profound visual system your emotional system and your lymphic system are all active now out of body experiences are a part of REM sleep because during REM sleep we turn off the part of the brain which situates us in time and space mm-hmm. so the part of our brain that understands where's up, where's down, where's left, where's right, I'm in the center of the room, there's a table in front of me, all that, that part of your brain turns off. And that part of the brain is called the uh, temporarium or temporal arium, temporal arium, that bit. (laughs) When that bit of your brain turns off, hold on. It's like you have no concept of where your body is. You have no concept of where your body is. Sorry. So when you're in REM sleep, you don't have that bit of your brain turned on. So if suddenly you are aware of yourself in some way, if that part of your brain gets simulated, sorry, if parts of your brain get stimulated, you'll suddenly not know where you are in time and space. So you will imagine, if you will, yourself off to the side of yourself, behind yourself, above yourself. Strangely enough, not very often underneath. Apparently not very many people go down. They tend to go side to side, back or up. But there's very limited, like, in fact, I don't think he said he's he's heard of a single person that said they went below themselves. How fucking terrified would that be, though, like to wake up underneath the bed? Well, it'd be totally possible once I finish explaining this. I'd be so scared. So, I'd be like, I'm the monster under my bed. <laughs> no! Oh, God, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, anyway. Oh, okay. So, the reason why they know this is because there's, like, a, um, a science experiment, if you will, that simulated the that part of the brain, the temporarium or whatever, with electronic pulses and every single time it's simulated with electronic wave the patient experiences an out-of-body experience Mm. so turn it on they're out of their body turn it off they're back in turn it on they're out of their body turn it off it is scientifically controlled out-of-body experiences and what it is is your brain is so clever it understands the depth of things the width of things where people are situated in a room whether you're conscious of it or not so when you simulate that part of the brain it's going to if you will project out into the room because it doesn't know where you are in time and space but it can still just about estimate everything and how everything looks yeah so that part of the brain is just never active when you're awake Yes. Got it. So it only active. Well, yeah, it situates. It it situates. Oh, my God. This is why I'm not a neurologist. It situates you in time and space, but you're not aware of it. Whereas like when you're in your REM sleep, it can I think it turns off, which is why you aren't you aren't aware of where you are in time and space. So if you suddenly are awake during your REM sleep, which sounds like an oxymoron, but believe me, it's possible your sensory perception is fucked you don't have any because that part of your brain isn't turned on but your brain has put together all the pieces of the room in a way which you'll recognize even if you were 10 feet up in the air you would understand now i would argue that um that there are some really extreme experiences in which they said that they can see 
the underside of things while they're astral projecting or if you're out of their body and that shouldn't be possible and they know that and they'll say i don't know how but somehow i was looking at a vase for example and i could see its width length top bottom sides but i could see the bottom of it that was touching the counter so how Mm. can i see the bottom of it and i think that kind of in a way sort of backs this up because what it is is your brain is filling in the gaps yeah absolutely so yeah um that sort of idea that they can see underneath things is this because your brain doesn't know where it is in time and space or i should just say space but time as well because time moves differently in this sort of state it can be induced by um any kind of uh if you go into the psychopathy basically which can happen when you are meditating it can happen when you're fainting it can happen when you're dying now there was another voice from across the panel that goes ah (laughs) but how does this explain people having out-of-body experiences during cardiac arrest now the reason why he's stipulate he he brings this up is because there are plenty of examples of people having out-of-body experiences like he doesn't dispute the one in 20 people will claim to have one however during a cardiac arrest your brain is starved of oxygen and your brain is shut off yeah your brain isn't functioning which is why you can have brain damage after a heart attack guys look after your body so during cardiac arrest how can you possibly have perception of what is happening when the brain isn't functioning they're getting information from he argues that they're getting information from around them and gaining new information which shouldn't be possible when somebody is dead essentially brain dead yeah now people that are um having a near-death experience and things like that um they also claim to be getting gaining new information is just like a fancy way of saying that they're able to come back and say oh and then the doctor spoke to me and said this thing well actually it's because you are still Mm semi-conscious it's just that you don't know where you are in time and space so you imagine that you're listening to the doctor from behind the doctor from above the bed but actually you're in your body it's just that your brain doesn't know where you are in the room yeah. He argues that how is it possible for people having cardiac arrest to have the same experiences of being able to inf- get new information from the room when in, in all it, when their brain isn't functioning. Now, I didn't know the brain doesn't function during a cardiac arrest. So this was news to me. So if it's news to anyone else, don't feel like, what? I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Genuinely didn't. I didn't know the brain. But if you think about it logically... Your heart isn't pumping. There's no oxygen going anywhere. Your brain doesn't have oxygen. It's not functioning. So he suggests that the consciousness must come from somewhere else. If the brain isn't functioning, but you're still able to uh, gather new information or or even gather any information while you're having a cardiac arrest, the consciousness must exist outside the body. Now, this is a doctor saying this. His name is Peter Nelson, and he's an M. Um, an MD which was kind of cool but Kevin comes back mm-hmm. and I kind of although I really like um, Peter Nelson I also I'm more of a, a, a Kevin Fenwick person myself you're, a, you're totally a Kevin <laughs> totally totally <laughs> he says that if people aren't actually learning new information that they think that they are 
Yeah, yeah. But the brain, that what's happening is their eyes are actually open and they're they're getting information from the room, and that this experience is actually happening in the periods of time where they are there to pick up the information yeah and that their brain is kind of putting it all together and making a coherent thing and that the memory systems are often the first to be damaged and the last to recover when the brain has had a trauma or the oxygen's been cut off so you actually can't in a way trust your own mind when you've suffered a brain damage yeah because your memory will be um, your memory is fallible, suggestible, and malleable. So your mind will, your brain will basically try to make sense of everything that's just happened to you. And the way that it will do that is to string a, um, a narrative. And even if that means that it, you think that you hear a conversation that must have been happening in another room. No, when you were being wheeled from one room to the other, you heard the fragment of a conversation. And then your brain has put two and two together and and and, and filled and, in the gaps. Filled in the gaps, yeah. Well, because yeah, it's not a trauma. Well, and that makes a lot of sense too, because I mean, you can have a dream that feels like it's months long, yeah. but it's all happened in under a minute. Yeah. You process an extraordinary amount of information and condense it into this tiny tiny little fraction of time and again if if the body knows the body recognizes that it's having a heart attack and it knows that the brain is probably going to lose all data in just a matter of minutes it's probably going to overload it with again that sort of outer body experience that sort of bubble of this is what's going to happen or um taking as much information as you can right now so that we can at least put this thing in your head so before your brain shuts off you recognize where you are or you have this moment <clears throat> so it feels like maybe the brain has just hyper condensing all of this information in that moment before brain death essentially or it could yeah or it could be that it's just what memory retains for the last moments of life but we when if you get brought back it has to somehow fix that because it thought you were going to die so yeah. it, it, because it thought you were going to die and it did all of these crazy things and it wasn't picking up on everything. It was only picking up on some things. It it hit that default that sorry, that the defense mechanism, which put you outside your body. So you didn't feel the pain of it and all that sort of stuff. But because you've come back, you're rare. You're a rare case because you've come back. Yeah. Your brain has to go, oh, shit, I'm going to need to tidy some of this mess up. Because, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, it, it, nothing, none of that is going to make any sense to them. We walked out of here in a rush. We got to clean this up. Exactly. So it it, 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 it's so clever. It's a beautiful thing. And I think I don't understand why it's not beautiful in itself, but it, it has strung together a narrative in which you can feel like you understand what happened to you, which is why I feel like so many people have a positive experience because who wants to think about it being a terrifying one? Your brain's not going to really do that on purpose. So yeah. your brain is going to give you a nice thing, hopefully, it, to string it all together if it can. So I can see under some circumstances where it can't. So you're going to have a trauma when you come back of like a horrendous thing. Yeah. But I feel like most people that have reported out-of-body experiences and astral projection and all that sort of thing, they come back feeling better mm -hmm. than when they left. And I think that's kind of the brain being cool. Um, but it, it it's all part of this. It's called 
the tem- uh, temporalarium temporal it's in the temporal behind the temporal brain uh, part of your yeah temporal tempor- uh, <laughs> <laughs> really hate words um but yeah it's part of your REM sleep and um you, it's a thing called syncop syncophetic thinking or something like that anyway yeah, yeah. Ask a neurologist, but that was my research, and I thought it was really interesting. <laughs> and um, uh, I definitely think that it's a brain mechanism. Have you ever had an out-of-body experience? Um, I have terrible memory, ah. so I might very well have and not remembered it because my brain is damaged. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with my brain. I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that I've had something happen during my sleep, you know, that I just don't recall. I, and and I, I, you know, the fact is that one in 20 people think that they've had an out-of-body experiences, but how many people actually remember their dreams? That's got to be a very similar um, yeah. number there. Because not most people, if you ask them, they don't really remember their dreams. They only remember the dreams that wake them up. See, I'm a I'm an extremely vivid dreamer, and I remember I want to say at least sixty percent of the big dreams that I have. Um, like I can I'm lucky wake, if I, can, I remember one. I'm lucky if I remember one. Yeah, I can remember. I can wake up every morning remembering at least one dream I had, and they're always extremely vivid. A lot of the times I'll wake up and I have half moon crescents in my hands because I've just been clutching them like crazy um there was i mean one, i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing it, it's really intense actually uh i tim wakes me up in the middle of the night because i'm sobbing a lot uh because i have very scary dreams because i i weirdly enough i love nightmares i love my nightmares so much because they're very real to me. They'd make amazing films if I could ever figure out how to write them down. And every single time I'm an older woman in my dream, I'm played by Helen Mirren. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't feel like I look anything like Helen Mirren. And I, by the grace of God, I age as beautifully as she I'd, does. I'd be Kathy Bates. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Something in me thinks highly enough about myself that I age like Helen Mirren in my dreams. That's but... a fabulous thing, yeah. Right? I'm not dissing Every... Kathy Bates at all. I'm just saying that if someone were to play me in a movie, it'd be a Kathy Bates type. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be played by Helen Mirren, that's for fucking sure. Um, Kate but... Winslet. Oh, thank you. <laughs> totally mean it. No, guys, Melanie, totally. I've, ever since I've known her, I thought she reminded me of Kate Winslet, honestly. I, I don't see it but right um, in guys <laughs> but what was it what was it gonna go with that um oh and every almost every time I if I wake up and I've had a dream because I I don't sleep very well I'm that kind of person that wakes up every 45 minutes to an hour throughout my night that's just how I do so if I hit REM sleep I I'd be amazed but my dreams are always incredibly, incredibly vivid. Flying dreams fuck me up because um, in my dreams, I'm not so much flying, but uh, kicking off of surfaces and launching like myself into the air. Huh? Like super jumping? N- not even super jumping. It's like I I have no gravity. Oh, cool. So if I want to just like jump up, I have to jump at an angle so that I know that I'll be able to catch something. And so I'm not just like going to keep going into the sky. Oh, and that's a huge terror of mine. 
So I'm always like jumping around and having a good time until I realize that I've hit an angle where I don't have anything to grab onto. But I've had flying dreams like that kind of my my whole life. As a kid, I remember very specifically I had this one flying dream and it fucked me up because I was flying into my neighbor's house. I'd never been into their house. I watched them have a fight. Um, I watched them argue about they were going to get divorced. And, and I was like five years old, something like that. And the next morning, the uh, the dad the the husband storms out and come to find out they'd had a fight that night and they were going to get divorced. But the the strongest out of body experience I probably ever had was at this friend of mine's house when I was about ten years old, and I'd never been to her house before. I was spending the night. She had a pull out bed underneath her bed, so I was kind of on the floor on like a little mattress thing yeah. with like two inch feet. And I fell asleep and I, I looked and we were looking at the clock before I closed my eyes and it was about 8.30 something. And I closed my eyes and I fell asleep. And then all of a sudden I felt what felt like a small earthquake, like just a whole, whole body shake. And I opened my eyes and I was in the corner uh, between ceiling and wall staring down at my body. And I was terrified. And I look at the clock and maybe three minutes had passed since mm-hmm. I'd fallen asleep. And uh, I'm watching my body. It's not shaking, but it looks terrified. My face my face just looked so scared. Uh, and then I just I somehow kicked off from the ceiling, landed on the floor next to my body. And then I remember being under the bed and under my little mattress and then I woke up. And when I woke up, four minutes had passed from when I had fallen asleep. That was a gnarly one. And then we had an earthquake. Then an earthquake hit. And it was like, it was like I hit the floor because I knew I had to be present because an earthquake was going to happen. I was just, I remember being scared that something was going to happen to the room, to my body. So I had to get back into it to keep it safe. Okay. Uh, that was my out-of-body experience. <laughs> it was really weird. <laughs> I would, I would, as a skeptical person, or at least a person that buys into the sort of neurological thing, say that your 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 mind created that after the fact. So you, you can't. It's really hard because I don't want to sound like a jerk, but we we can't trust ourselves when we're sleeping because oh. our brain isn't it. It doesn't understand the concept of space and time <laughs> yeah, in the yeah. way that we do when we're conscious. And even and even if we have any small grasp of even what space and time is, I question all the time as an archaeologist, right? I have to believe in linear time. I have to believe that what's happened in the past happened in the past and what's happening now, it's it's it, that it's a linear and that it can't, you, you know what I mean? That there's a line that you draw to the past. I have to believe that as yeah, in my profession. But as a philosophical person, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I don't know if that's how time happens. But my sort of explanation for your um, dream, if you will, is that you fell asleep and then or you dozed for four minutes, but then later had a vivid dream that put you in the time space between those two times and that you thought that that you were happening then, but it actually happened later. But an earthquake really did happen, but you dreamed about the earthquake later and then it put you in the, you know what I mean? Like, and everything was backwards. I I woke up um, at four minutes past when I had fallen asleep 
I was covered in sweat and I started crying. Um, and I pulled on my friend, uh, was it Jessica, was it Jessica or Stephanie? Uh, one of the, one of those she wasn't a friend for very long. Um, but I tugged on her and I'm all like, I'm scared. I, I don't know why, but I'm really, really scared. And then all of a sudden an earthquake happened and, uh, you know, I just kind of sat on the bed with her and, and just hid under a blanket. Uh, so it, it wasn't even a matter of like a whole lot of time passed between being afraid of an earthquake, waking up and then having an earthquake. I, 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 I'm not saying that when I was out of my body, I was like, there's an earthquake that's going to happen. I just knew something was going to happen and I needed to be present for it. Mm. I needed to be awake for that. And even then I knew that four minutes was not enough time to have that kind of dream. So, because it it was so real. Waking up and being in the corner near the ceiling, I almost threw up. Like, I had every urge to throw up. Mm. I was so scared because I felt like I I knew I shouldn't be out of my body. I knew that whatever was happening right now was so wrong and so just, this is not how this works. I should be in that thing. And I was just, like, so, so freaked out. But I woke up just in time. Like I'm talking minutes later, the earthquake happened. Um, but that, but that kind of shit happens to me a lot. Uh, I'll, I'll hear, I'll hear a, a man's voice in my ear screaming, Melanie, and then an earthquake happens, or Melanie, and then the thing that like the light bulb that re- that's right next to my face explodes just as I pull away from it. And, you know, I, I don't know what science there is to explain that. I'm sure there's something, but it's, it's almost all completely instinctual and I have an outside person's voice about three inches from my ear screaming my name yeah I mean I'm not gonna pretend to know even what that might be but I would say it's probably like I'd say I'd say from my point of view that it sounds like an audio hallucination triggered by your um intuitive intuition your instinct mm-hmm. so somehow or another your instinct has turned into a shouty man and I think you should probably get that looked at <laughs> well no my, my instinct is almost always good and so I always trust it and that's how I avoid a lot of you know kind of bad situations but if it's something that I in no way could um expect or anticipate mm-hmm. Then yeah, I get shouted at by a man what three, three inches from my ear. Your brain is having to do that because that's the only way it can get you to pay attention, and it's learned that over the years that you don't ever trust your gut instinct about things. But if a man shouts it in your ear, you're gonna move like instantly but out I of the do way. I always trust my instinct. I've I've saved my own life without the shouty man, shouty man many times, mm-hmm. where I'm like, you know, if I walk down the street, I feel like something bad's gonna happen, and then I hear blood curdling screams a couple minutes later, and I'm all like, see, it was a good idea not to do that thing. I trusted my gut. But the, but when there's something that I genuinely cannot anticipate, there's no way for me to know this light bulb's about to explode. I've never been in this house before. We think. <laughs> there might be some other realm if you will not realm but like some other you know like when we talked about when you walk in a room and it just doesn't feel right yeah what causes that right so there's something that our unconscious brain is tuned into that we're not now I'm not saying that that necessarily okay so if there's something going on in a room or like like let's use your light bulb example there's no way for you consciously to know that that light bulb is about to blow however there are things going on inside that 
that light bulb on another level, if you will, like chemically or some kind of reaction going on, the atoms, whatever. Yeah. Something is happening where it's coming to the end of its life. It's either going to just pop or it's going to explode. Something's happening. Now, there's no reason to believe that our brains aren't so in tune with our environment that it can pick up on that. Mm-hmm. So I'm in, I, I think that there are levels of consciousness in our minds that we are just not in tune with. Oh, yeah. But that we can get to if we train or whatever. I don't know. Maybe. And maybe <laughs> those parts of your brain are what people are going into when they're having different metaphysical experiences. Now I'm talking about all metaphysical, metaphysical experience, all things that defy scientific explanation. They may just be different layers within our own brain. I'm also not disputing that it is entirely possible that we live in a multidimensional universe in which dimensions constantly collide with each other or are in flux or exist on top of each other or exist within each other and all those sorts of things because science is actually pretty new (laughs) so it's only been happening for a few hundred years we're pretty new at it and um testing things using the scientific method has its limitations but quantum physics is the future and the idea of quantum physics um and and exploring other quantum realms or sort of other dimensions is definitely going to be the future of science people just need to kind of relax about the fact that it is kind of what essentially psychical research is in a way i mean physicists will go it's fucking not it's not i know it's not but what quantum physics can potentially bring information to is psychical research and it's time to stop making people feel bad that are are trying to study these things because they are they are real they are things that happen to people but whether or not it's happening within the brain or whether it's happening outside of the body remains to be seen and i am not I am not saying I know the answer, but I just don't think that it has to do with like a soul or a spirit. Fair enough. That's just where I kind of stop. Yeah, totally fair enough. Yeah. And last, my last little thing I want to throw out there before we wrap this episode up. (laughs) Not last night, but the night before, um, because we were going to record yesterday, but Mm -hmm. we postponed it. So the night before we were, were supposed to record, I'm all, you know what, just for science... (laughs) let's try one of these guided meditations and astral projection and so i laid down in my bed i had my little headphones in and i listened to it and i started you know i'm trying to take it seriously because it's so easy to just get totally cheesed out by these guys take a deep breath follow the rhythm of your breathing don't control it let your breath move as breath moves and focus on your nostrils does the air feel cold does it feel warm you know, it's like, you know, it's I know I have to do a lot of um, meditation for my mental health stuff. So <laughs> you have to find the right person because, yeah, or else I just end up laughing. Yeah, this guy sounded hot. He was Australian. Uh, but so I was listening to it <laughs> and I was starting to I was getting into it. I'm all like, all right, letting go of my physical body. And I started getting the tingles. And he goes, if you're getting tingles, that's completely all right. There's no wrong way to do this. Like, OK, cool. Uh, but then it started going into, like, you know, imagining that you were in space. So I don't know if our listeners or know this or whether even you know this, but my number one fear is orcas, right? My number two fear is outer space. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do know that. Yeah, and and then comes the ocean, and then parking garages slash uh, public <laughs> bathrooms. But it's a whole other thing. Um, so outer space scares the bejesus out of me. I can't watch a documentary about space without like starting to kind of go into a panic attack. So when I started really letting my body kind of be loose and and let go, and I was getting the tinglys, and I was really starting to like sort of envision my spirit kind of moving out of my body and into into you know the sort of void. As soon as he started mentioning space, oh god, I had a full blown panic attack. Not good. Sucked. <laughs> well, this could have been so cool, but you mentioned like meteors and 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 the stars and watching the planet from a distance and i i just got couldn't do it couldn't do it i got wow. so scared it sucked <laughs> a panic attack wow so his meditation had the exact opposite effect on you mm-hmm. but for that's why they say you've got to try to find the right yogi <laughs> yeah and for most people space is absolutely beautiful and i can recognize its beauty it also scares the bejesus out of me so (sighs) someday i'll find the right one and i'll let you know how it went (laughs) (laughs) okay wow my watch that i don't wear anymore just started vibrating um it fucking freaked me out (laughs) (laughs) yeah you need to shut up it's half past eight and you have not had any tea ah yeah time's up it sure is (laughs) <laughs> well we hope you enjoyed that i know i did yeah there's a whole lot of information there i had a lot of fun with this um if you have any questions if you have any of your own out-of-body experiences honest to god i know that every podcast says this you know give us your input on this and this and this like we really do want to hear them because a it lets us know that you are listening mm-hmm. and b we could talk about it you know share your experiences do a little mini so where we talk about you know, our listeners' experiences with this topic or that topic or what have you. So if you have any topic topics that you would like us to cover, if you have any experiences relating to this or any other previous episode, let us know on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Zombie Fishbowl or Zombie Fishbowl Podcast. We are easy enough to find. Also, our email is zombiefishbowlpodcast at gmail.com. Best place to drop off our uh, your episode recommendations and and input and that, like that so please do it we love you we're also on almost any kind of forum you can listen to podcasts on so if you have the ability to leave us a review please do so please please yeah please 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 please, please. give us some stars some some comments tell us how pretty we are validate us <laughs> hug me <laughs> so how about a topic danielle okay so I'm going to pick a random topic. A r- r- random topic! And it is... <laughs> Conspiracy theories. Ooh. Nice. I should have saved my, my coronavirus zombie thing for that. Damn it. <laughs> I would literally thought that because right now I genuinely think that, that the coronavirus is a total conspiracy. Th- like, I've got a conspiracy theory that the coronavirus is a... deliberately um, strong narrative to keep everyone scared but I won't go into that right now but guys chill out it's not that bad we're all gonna die by the time this comes out hopefully I'm still right (laughs) (laughs) 
or I'm going to have egg all over my face. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, conspiracy theories. Yeah, I'm going to look for some weird ones. Yeah, me too. I think I want to step outside the realm of normalcy. Yeah, we know all the normal ones, you know, the whole moon landing and all that. Let's get weird with it. Yeah, let's find something good. Yeah. Hey, ooh, I have an idea. Why don't we both come up with two, but we research one really weird one, and then we make one up, and then we have to guess which one's the real conspiracy theory and which one's the one we made up. Ooh, oh my god, that sounds like fun. I'm excited. Okay, cool. Let's do it. All right, so find a real, really weird one and make one up, and I will do the same, and we will try to guess. Yes. Awesome. That's awesome. Make it into a game. (laughs) And then you get to be creative as well. Yeah, I love being creative. If it's if it's extremely well written, it's probably one that I made up. So fuck. Nah, but if you study enough weird conspiracy theories, you can learn how to talk like them. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. On it. Uh, also, you guys, I don't know. You know, I'm not getting any input from you guys about minisodes. So there wasn't a minisode last last week, and uh, there won't be one coming up if I don't get hear something from you guys. So get on it. Come on. Please. <laughs> so with that, before you head out, you got a quote for us? I do. I do have a quote. Yay. And I don't... Okay, so, all right. So this quote has been spoken by the twi- triquatra of logical beings that should really be um, uh, just like the, the new holy trinity, right? So yeah. it's... Um, see if you can tell which quote I'm going to say by the fact that all three of these people have said it, these characters. Spock! Data! Sherlock Holmes! Once you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Well played. Thanks. Well played. Boom! Bravo! Oh my god, are we dorks? We really are. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 they were the good kind of dorks. Well, it's funny because like you know I I work at a store where everybody thinks I'm super super cool because I work there with crystals and you know statues of dragons and everyone thinks I'm super cool and then I'm all like, what's your Hogwarts house? Hey, have you watched <laughs> Star Trek? Well, big fucking nerd. <laughs> it's almost as if. People don't prescribe to the little boxes that we put them in. Yeah, nor should we. No. All right. We love you guys, and we will talk to you in two weeks, unless I hear from you, and then one week. So, yeah. yeah. Right. Bye! Auf Wiedersehen!